0: Okay, I'm back, and this is chapter 16 of What Did You Expect? Not sure if anybody is listening to these or not, but I'll still read them. On Your Knees. It's a thing that many couples miss, it is so simple, so biblically logical, but it seems to slip through the cracks in the lives of many couples. If it is true that all of the horizontal skirmishes a husband and a wife have are rooted in a deeper war for the heart, and if it is true that marriage must be fixed vertically before it is ever fixed horizontally, then the place where you win the war for marriage is on your knees. Perhaps there is no more important command for marriage in all the Bible than the simple words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen 16-18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If marriage, flawed, if marriage is a flawed person living with a flawed person in a fallen world, and if the war for control of our hearts still rages, then we cannot and must not quit seeking God, God's help for our marriage. This side of heaven, there is nothing more important in our marriage when we are in our marriage than to pray without ceasing. There is never a moment in our marriage when we are not in need of the rescuing, enabling, delivering grace of the redeemer. There is never a moment when we do not need his wisdom, strength, and forgiveness. There is never a moment when we have grown up enough that we no longer need his mercy. This side of heaven we will never graduate from the school of grace. Every day we face things that we have not anticipated we would face. Every day temptations, sometimes subtle and sometimes powerful, greet us. Every day we sin against our spouse and are sinned against by them in some way. Every day the fallen world and all its brokenness presses in on us and makes life more difficult and complicated than it was originally designed to be. Every day we are greeted with the seductive voice of the kingdom of self wooing us to live for nothing bigger than our wants, our needs, and our feelings. Every day we are called to fight what is wrong and give ourselves to what is right. Every day we are called to humbly examine ourselves and to commit ourselves to change. Every day there are things in our marriage that need to be uprooted, and every day there are new and better things that need to be planted. Every day there is some issue for which we need the insight of biblical wisdom. Every day we must surrender what we want to the better agenda of the what, King, what God has commanded. Every day we must fight to be a good stewards of the blessings we must have given, we, we have been given. Every day we must identify the places where we must say no and the places where we must say yes. Every day we are called to love each other in ways that are particular and specific, practical and specific. Every day we must live with open eyes and an open heart. Every day we must fight the things that distract us from loving, serving, and nurturing one another. Every day we need to act in sacrificial love toward one another. Even though we are busy or tired, every day we must work to protect the unity, understanding, and love of our marriage. Every day in some way we are called to love when the other person doesn't deserve it. Every day we are called to give to our husband or wife the same grace that God has given us. Every day we must be motivated not only by our own interests, but also by the interests of our spouse. Every day we are called to have a myriad of conversations in ways that give grace and builds up the other person. Every day we must resist keeping a record of wrongs and instead genuinely forgive. Every day we need to look for ways to communicate encouragement, appreciation, and regret, respect, regret too. Every day we are called to lay down something down in order to capture, to capture an opportunity to love. What marriage is meant to do. Now let's be honest, you and I are not up to the task. Consider the call of this book. Consider the paragraph above. Could you honestly look at yourself in the mirror of God's word and say, I do all those things well. As I have written this book, I have been convicted once again about how many places I fall short. I have been convicted about the places where my words and actions are more formed by the kingdom of self than by the kingdom of God. I have been convicted of my impatience at the desire for marriage to be instantly easier than it is now. I have, been, I have been convicted that I don't always speak in a way that is gracious. There are times when winning a discussion, read argument, is more important to me than the unity of my marriage. I am convicted of ways in which I am still demanding and self-centered. I have been convicted that in my heart the war still goes on. No, I know I can't stand up and say I could do all these things well. In fact, what I, when I consider God's call for marriage, I think the bar is too high. I'll never reach it. But hear what I am about to say next. This is exactly what marriage is meant to do. It is meant to be a tool in God's hands to expose your heart and to, drive, and to drive you to the end of yourself. Marriage is meant to expose your self-focus and self-reliance. It is meant to convince you that you are needier than you thought you were and to encourage you that God's grace has more power to transform than you thought it did. Marriage is meant to teach you how to give, love, serve, forgive, support, encourage, and wait. Think of this. Think of it this way. Although you're married to be married for your life, married for life, your marriage is not a destination. Your marriage is not an end in itself. No, the radical thing that the Bible teaches about all that is going on is that no experience or relationship in the here and now is an end in itself. Everything we are going through now is a God designed and God controlled means to an end. Your marriage is not a destination. No, it is a toll of preparation. It is a toll of preparation for a final destination. You will never understand your marriage struggles and your personal needs in the midst of them until you understand this. So God is not only working to form your marriage into what he designed it to be. No, more foundationally, he is working to reform you into what you were created to be. It is only as we grow and change that our marriage can thrive. So, feeling weak and unable is a good good thing. The thing that keeps each of us from growing is not our assessment of weakness. The grace of God is greater than any weakness we may experience. No, the thing that keeps us from growing is our delusion of strength. When we think we are righteous and strong, we do not seek the help that God so tenderly and faithfully offers. Our marriage is not damaged by cries of weakness, but by pronouncements of strength. Our marriage is harmed by our reliance on our own wisdom, righteousness, and strength. In the biblical model, weakness is the portal to strength. It is when I admit that I am weak that I seek the help of God of, of incapable power who is near me and willingly meets me in my time of need. The transforming power of prayer. Here is where prayer is so important and so powerful. Prayer makes no sense unless two things are true. First, our lives do not belong to us. Since we have been created by God, everything we are, everything we have, and every situation or relationship in which we live belongs to Him. Because we are His creatures, our number one calling in every area of life is to worship Him. Everything we do and say in every situation for the purpose of His glory, we were created for His pleasure and we are called to live in constant worship of Him. So everything in our lives has verticality to it. Everything we do must be done in recognition of God's presence and his rightful ownership of our lives. We must live in our marriage in a way that is distinctively and comprehensively Godward, even in the most mundane moments of life. Two, there is a second thing that we must do be true for prayer to make any sense. It is that sin makes us, uncompre- it makes us comprehensively needy. Every area of our personhood has been in some way damaged by sin. We don't desire what we should. We don't think as we should. We don't speak as we should. We don't act as we should. We need help. We need rescue. We need wisdom. We need forgiveness. We need strength. So here is what prayer does for you in your marriage in a way that is powerfully protective and relationally relationally transforming. Each time you pray, you are reminded of the context of your marriage. The context of your marriage is not a situation or location. The context of your marriage is a person. The context of your marriage is God. He is above, around, below, and in you. He created everything that makes up your existence. He controls every situation and relationship you are in. It is in his power that keeps you and your world together. He has written the story of your life and your marriage. His plan, purpose, and will are meant to be the reason for all you do in your marriage. He alone offers the help that reaches the deepest areas of your personal and relational need. He is the rightful owner of you, your life, and your marriage. He is the conceiver and the creator of your marriage. And because he is, he is the best able to diagnose what is broken and to cure what needs to be fixed. He is the only reliable one who can define what is right or wrong, good or bad, true or false, and wise or foolish. He is not only near you, but because of your the cross of Jesus Christ, he is now living inside you by his spirit. He is your life and the hope of your marriage. He is your counselor, protector, advocate, teacher, guide, and friend. He surrounds you with His love and bathes you in His grace. It really is that. In Him, we live and move and have our being. God is the context of our marriage. But prayer does something else. It reminds us of the reality of our marriage. The reality of our marriage is a constant moment-by-moment dance of sin and grace. Every day, sin rears its ugly head. And every day, grace gives us what we need to deal with sin. In the same way that we cannot understand marriage without understanding God's existence, his ownership, and his power, we cannot understand what we experience in marriage and how to deal with it unless we understand sin and grace. Sin is the reason for all the struggles of marriage, and the grace is the only reliable hope of being able to deal with them. Because of the fact that sin still remains in you and in your world, you need to be reconciled to God every day. And every day you need to be reconciled to one another. Every day you do something that offends God in some way. And every day you do something that offends one another. As we have observed before, these dynamics of sin, struggle, and rescue take place in the smallest and most mundane moments of daily life. Moments so normal and in all ways so unremarkable that they pass by without getting our attention. We get used to the daily pace of our lives, we get used to our daily struggle schedule, and we get used to our daily relationships and responsibilities. At some point we quit observing and we quit we quit observing and we quit examining and we settle into the routine day piling upon day, month piling upon month, year piling upon year. This is why people couples look back during one of those moments where the guide sends to get their attention once again and they say, What happened to us? How in the world did we end up here? It feels to them that they have been driven into some kind of marital fog. It feels that what was once bright and sunny has suddenly gone dark, but nothing has been sudden. The changes of their marriage have taken place in progressive little steps. In those unremarkable moments that occur in every marriage, wrong thoughts, desires, words, and actions change the character and direction of their marriage. They took place in little moments and no one was paying attention. We all do it. It's not that we suddenly quit loving one another. No, that's not what typically happens. Marriage doesn't typically change with an explosion. Marriage typically changes by the process of erosion. Even where marital explosions do take place, they usually take place at the end of a long process of erosion. The moment of a marriage from an active the movement of a marriage from an active commitment to an active lifestyle of unity, understanding, and love rarely takes place in one step. Rather, this movement takes place in 10,000 little steps. The problem is that as these changes are taking taking place, we tend to be asleep at the wheel. What we once committed to to value and protect has progressively become the thing we take for granted. What we were once deeply appreciative and what we have become used to having over the long haul, the person that was so much the focus of our attention and attention has morphed into little more than the person that we live with. You know, a part of our environment and daily schedule. I can't tell you how many wives have said to me, when he is at home, he acts as though I'm not even here. What does this have to do with prayer? Well, prayer not only attaches you to the wonderful resources of God and His grace, who is present, powerfully, near, and willing, but prayer reminds you of that, that you are needy and, uh, and, in what, and that God is gracious. <coughs> Prayer is about affirming weakness and blessing. Prayer is about getting your identity and, we, and God's glory right. Prayer confronts you with what is and what, and it preaches to you about what is important. Prayer is a very important part of a lifestyle of paying attention. When did we quit noticing? Brian and Martina were so excited that they were actually getting married. Neither had had much of a social life in college. Brian had told himself what that he had that he had given up on the relationship thing, and Martina had been afraid to let a relationship with a man go beyond a casual. beyond casual, They were both well into their careers when they met. Brian was on a sales call to Martina's firm. Martina was the person responsible for potentially purchasing what Brian was attempting to sell. On his third visit to, dis- to, to discuss with Martina her company's product needs, Brian became aware that he liked being with Martina. Over the next visit, Mer- while mumbling embarrassed apologies for stepping over workplace boundaries, Brian asked Martina if she would have coffee with him sometimes. To his surprise, she said, yes, Brian had been thinking about this for a while. This was not going to be a bore- boring late Latte at starbucks mini date no brian had decided to take her to a cool local coffee place with the unmatched furniture the offbeat lamps and those killer caramel brownies martina was mad at herself for agreeing to get together so easily but after their date she couldn't believe what a good time they had had and she couldn't wait for brian to ask her out again well martina hadn't had to wait to her shock brian called her as she was putting the key in her condo door and the next date was on they were both aware of their, as their relationship progressed that they had pretty much given up on love. They were both deeply appreciative of the fact that God had given, written their stories together. They were very thankful for one another and they were very committed to building and practicing protecting the relationship that they were both treasured. Their wedding day was a blur of activity and emotion. Both Brian and Martina were emotional all day long because they could not believe that it was actually happening. They could not believe that they had found each other. They could not believe that they had fallen in love. They could not believe that they were actually getting married. They could not believe that they would be spending their lives together. They were both filled with a sense of privilege. Few couples go into marriage with the level of intentionality that Brian and Martina did. They were not about to mess this thing up. They knew that if they were going to have a marriage that was mature and sturdy enough to last, no matter what, they had to commit to the lifestyle of relational work that makes very good every good marriage a good marriage. It wasn't a burden to them. With joy, they determined to pay attention and deal with the stuff that would get in the way of what their marriage was and uh, potentially be. And they had, and what, and they had done. They had done it in the early years, their attentiveness and the intentionality helped them form by God's grace a marriage that really was a place of unity, love and understanding. But in a subtle process of change, two things happened. They got comfortable and they got busy. Brian got used to loving Martina, that so used to loving Martina that he quit being as conscious of his love and expressing it so often to her. Martha got so used to being uh, appreciative of Brian that she quit looking for those moments to express her thankfulness. Over time, they went from attention and action to assumption and passivity. But Martina had been been and Martina and Brian were pretty much blind to the changes because something else had taken place they had become very busy together Brian and Martina got tired of condo life so they purchased a single family home of their own the problem was that they could not afford a fixer upper if their new home was ever going to be comfortable and livable, it was going to demand lots of work. And since it was an old home, it would always need lots of care and maintenance. Along with this, Brian and Martina were the parents of twin English Bulldogs and three beautiful little girls. And there was something else. Through a series of promotions, Brian was now the regional director of his division at his company. His work days were very demanding and he had to travel more than he had anticipated when he took the position. He came home exhausted every evening and wanted little more than some downtime. Martina was thankful for Brian, but between household chores, which Brian seemed oblivious to, and the care for and activities of the girls and the dogs, there just didn't seem to be enough time in the day for her to do all... That, all that, and also pay much attention to Brian. No, they hadn't stopped loving one another, but they had quit paying much attention, and they surely had forsaken their commitment to do daily what was necessary to build and protect their marriage. Their marriage had become a relationship of inattention, distance, and distraction. When this happens in any marriage, sin, with all its Ill, self-orientation, irritation, and patience, has given room for expression and growth, and this is exactly what happened to Brian and Martina. Little disagreements and unsolved conflicts grew into major battles. Service morphed into impatient selfishness. Appreciation devolved into irritation. A willingness to serve and wait disintegrated into impatient demands. Forgiveness gave way to criticism and judgment. Peace gave way to anger and tension. Brian and Martina had quit paying attention and had quit working on the relationship What once was had not been enhanced to maintain. The commitments they had made had been progressively forsaken. Their marriage was like a garden without attention. The weeds had simply overwhelmed the flowers. Martina and Brian needed help, their marriage needed prayer. Okay, that's all of that chapter that I'm going to read tonight.